Hey, hey, beer fans. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Homebrewing, available at all your finest retailers. Now, between the two of us, we have over 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking it out. And on today's episode, we're going to be doing, well, a lot of the usual, because we're back, baby. I'm working again. Yay, Drew lives. <laughs> uh, we will be stopping into the pub to talk through the beer news that's happened recently. We'll be taking a quick visit to the brewery to talk about what the hell's going on in my brewery. Before we get into the lounge, where we're going to be talking with Tyler and Lori of the Brewed Up Podcast, just to really talk about podcasting and beer and all that. You may remember we had Tyler and Lori, uh, well, we did an episode with Tyler and Lori that we had just done, but th- this time we're actually having a conversation about beer and podcasting. Yeah, man, uh, there's so much fun to talk to, we just couldn't resist having them on again. That's right. Now, let's get the heck out of here and go get a beer. All right, so stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. This episode of the Experimental Brewing Podcast is brought to you by you, our listeners. Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you like to the podcast and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the AHA link to join the American Homebrewers Association. Part of the proceeds from those will go to help support the podcast. And thanks for your support. Welcome back, and we are starting off, as always, with some announcements. Yep, and one of the announcements is, if you didn't pay attention to your podcast feed or the website, we just had an episode of The Brew Files come out, all about the brew in your brew, where Denny and I sat down with my good friend Tiffany Ashrafi to talk about putting coffee into your beer, hence brew in brew. So go give that a listen. Think about putting coffee in your beer. Also tell us about things that you do in order to put coffee in your beer. <laughs> Like uh, carry a beer in one hand, cough in the other, trip and spill. Well, I think actually the right thing to do is to go get one of those funny hats, you know, the like the construction hats, <laughs> pint of pint of coffee in one, a can of beer in the other one, just a straw straight down. Yeah, I, I think that works. Uh, yeah, maybe for you. Uh, the other thing we want to remind you about is that Hop and Brew School is back at Yakima Chief Hops up in Yakima, Washington. It's going to be happening in a couple different sessions, one the 29th and 30th of August, the other one the 1st and 2nd of September. It's a great time. You learn a lot. You get to just do some really cool things. So uh, check it out. Get more information at hopandbrewschool.com. Yes, highly recommended. If you like hops, which, come on, let's face it, you're an American beer enthusiast, you like hops. It's a great way to learn more and more about everybody's favorite bitter beer plant. Yeah, and hopefully we're even going to be able to get back up there this year. It would be nice. Unfortunately, it sure the- would. Unfortunately, the Yakima Minor League Baseball team is not in town during that time. Ah, mm. oh, geez. I guess there's no reason for you to go then. Huh? I know. It hurts. All right. 
Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can click the AHA or BYO links on the website and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for the very last time this month, I think, yes, right, is... Yes, we are wrapping up our charity for Canines for Warriors, an organization that takes rescue dogs and trains them to be companions for uh, wounded vets. Uh, this is the kind of thing we love, uh, helping out vets, helping out dogs. Uh, what, what can be better than that? So uh, please go to experimentalbrew.com, click on the Patreon link, and give us a few bucks that we can pass along to them. There you go. And yeah, seriously, and if you folks got to actually listen to the pre-roll as Danny and I are just sitting here chatting before we actually decide to record, you'd realize about half of our conversation is about dogs. <laughs> yeah, we have no lives other than our dogs. But the other part of our life is beer. And speaking of which, time to head to the pub. So stick around. We're going to be right back. This season welcomes Yeast Laboratories limited release featuring the Frosted Lagers private collection. We invite you to embrace the chilly days to come with brewing strains suited to the occasion. 2002 Gambrina-style lager, 2035 American lager, and 2352 Munich Lager II. Lagers have been called the brewer's beer, and we know the sentiment is shared among homebrewers and beer lovers alike. Their light, clean nature is ideal for expressing the fine nuances of your brewing ingredients, especially the floral and fruit notes, complex flavors, aromatics, and mouthfeel created by the yeast. Between your winter ales and experimental brews, try one of our latest releases in your next lager recipe. Visit yeastlab.com for more information on which styles pair best with these strains. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. We are sitting here in the Experimental Brewing Pub at the corner of everywhere and nowhere, somewhere in cyberspace, and at least one of us is having a beer, but not you, huh? No, nothing for me. As you all may have surmised by the recent release schedules and the replays and some of our messages out there, uh, I've been down for the count for a little bit here with, well, let's just put it this way, my body, particularly my digestive system, and I had some issues that we had to sort out involving a surgical table. 
So <laughs> no beer for me for at least a little while, but that's okay. A break is healthy for your mind and your liver and your body as well. So instead, I'm focusing a lot on sparkling herbal teas just to be silly. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever whatever works for you. I mean, look, it's either that or water, and water's boring. Oh man, I like water. Well, you would. But I'm not. I'm not drinking it right now. I am having a beer. I'm. Uh, I'm drinking a Wanderjack IPA from Breakside. I'm sure you all will just be stunned that I'm having an IPA. This is uh, a kind of an offshoot of their Wanderlust IPA, and. The reason that I got into this, well, number one, because Paula brought it home and she's got great taste in IPA, but <laughs> mainly because this is one of those beers. It's a collaboration between Breakside and Barley Browns over in the eastern part of Oregon. And this is one of their attempts to conceptualize what the new West Coast IPA would be like, uh, something that we've talked about a lot between ourselves and mentioned a few times here on the show. Uh they say that it is filled with three of the fruitiest hops around. The bitterness is modest, although it's 63 IBUs. It's not exactly non-existent. And the malt bill is extremely lean. Now, they talk about using two-row, Vienna, and pale. And I'm not exactly sure what the difference between two-row and pale is that they're drawing, but that's what they say. Well, let's, uh -huh. let's actually let's spell that out real quick, the concern, because I know this is one of your bugaboos about people just using two-row. Because yeah. we got two-row, just two-row malt is just a, a variety, and then the treatment can vary. So usually a lot of times you'll see people just refer to, oh, yeah, I'm using two-row. And that's kind of confusing because there's two-row Pilsner. There's more toasted two-row, which, you know, is two-row pale ale malt. And then there's just kind of yield generic two-row. Yeah, I mean, pretty much every malt that's out there is going to be two-row as opposed to six-row. So this is one of those things that bugs me. And here, you know, being imprecise leaves you kind of going, well, what is it that they mean? So, you know, maybe maybe the pale is pale ale and it's killed a little bit darker than what they're calling two-row. I don't know because they don't really tell you. The, the hops in it are Strata, Mosaic, Simcoe, and Azaka. And I have not brewed with Strata hops before, but man, you can really tell when they're in a beer. It's, it's been described as tasting like passion fruit and pot. <laughs> and, you know, when you, when you open up this beer and take a whiff of it, when you take your first sip, you get that super, super dankness. Uh, and that's from the Strata. The, the Mosaic, the Simcoe, the Izaka are adding the, uh, the fruit flavors. Uh, all in all, I really like this beer a lot because it's, it's got the tropical fruit flavors, but with enough bitterness so that it, it doesn't get too fruity and sweet seeming. Uh, 7.1 ABV and the body is, you know, pretty, pretty moderate for an IPA. So it's a great beer to drink on a hot day. Well, it sounds good to me. I would love to have one. Well, maybe you'll get lucky and I'll send you one someday. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and someday you'll be able to drink it. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Instead of looking at all the pretty, pretty cans. <laughs> yeah, we're, really. we're, we're getting there, folks. Ugh. But yeah, by the way. Take care of yourself. That's the that's the lesson for today. Yeah, right. So uh, as as we're talking right now, as you're listening to this, 
Homebrew Con is going on in Pittsburgh. Uh, we're not going to be there this year. We both are really sad about that. Uh, but uh, if you are, we hope you're having a great time. And we really hope that we'll see you for next year's Homebrew Con in San Diego, back at the good old town and country. Yeah, that, that will definitely be a thing that I'm looking forward to. And also that means I'll be having beer there. That's right. You yeah. could actually get a shot to try some of my beer through the Falcons booth. Uh, but I do also really wish that we could be at, at Pittsburgh because we have a really great talk that we want to do. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? That's just the way things go sometimes. Absolutely. But in the meanwhile, stay tuned for dates for San Diego, and we will also be staying tuned to find you some good content out of the Pittsburgh Homebrew Con, so you'll be able to hear it here. So let's get to the news, shall we? Absolutely. A couple of big things happening in the news. Uh, one was, you will remember that we had previously talked about Modern Times, right? Modern Times got into a lot of trouble because they did the very aggressive overexpansion. You know, here we got tap rooms in Portland, we got tap rooms in LA, we got tap rooms here, there, and everywhere. And along with a very glitzy sort of style, a rapid push into a lot of markets. And then, of course, uh, trouble hit with both COVID. And then also all the stuff that happened with uh, Brianne Allen's uh, revelations about sexism in the beer industry. Modern Times got hit with that as well pretty heavily. And they actually ended up getting all their debts called in on them, so they had to go for auction. Now, the last time we had talked about this, Maui Brewing Company had submitted a stocking horse bid, which is kind of think of it as like a reserve minimum. The, the, the brewery won't auction for less than that. And it was like seven point something million dollars. Well, they just held the auction, and as we're talking, it still hasn't been approved by the courts, but the brewery that ended up winning the auction kind of surprised me. It's Brewery X out of Anaheim. Now, they've expanded pretty aggressively, too. They've got three different locations, or, well, they've got their brewery. They've got two open locations at two of the Anaheim sports stadiums, and then they're opening up one in the Ontario airport. Now, what's interesting to me is they paid 20-ish million dollars for this, at least according to the current bid before it's approved by the court. So 20-ish million dollars, and they end up getting the Modern Times Brewery down in San Diego. They get the brands. And what I also kind of think is interesting, because this got batted around a couple times by some of the debtors, they also get Modern Times Anaheim location, which Modern Times had built out and is very snazzy and flashy. So Brewery X, which has expanded fairly rapidly down here in Southern California is now growing by leaps and bounds and being able to put down $20 million on the barrel head for this uh, tells me that they are either extremely well capitalized or leveraged or both. Um, but I'm really curious to see what will end up happening with modern times. Obviously the, uh, the Portland location has gone and I just, and I completely blanked on it, but somebody's snapped up that location. Yeah, you know what? I can't remember who it was. Uh, I don't think it was Pono, but I I would have to ask Larry. He'd know. Yep. Um, so Modern Time is being sold. I think the beers will still be around, but this is also a very rapid expansion for Brewery X. So that's very interesting to see to me. Also, keep in mind, $20 million is a lot more than $7 million. <laughs> Yeah, a lot more. Yep. Um, and speaking, actually, of Portland, this just popped into my head. One thing that we did see that got announced, you remember we talked with Alan Sprintz from Hair of the Dog, and he was saying that he was closing up shop before too long. He's officially announced end of June. 
So if you're in the Portland area or you have any reason to get into the Portland area and you want to go to the Hair of the Dog, you got just a couple more weeks. So go uh, go and visit and go see a classic organization, shall we say. Or actually sometimes yeah. knowing Alan, classic disorganization. Man, I, and I'm just so bummed I'm not going to be able to get up there before they close. Yes, but he will. He is still trying to clear out the cellar, so you'll be able to buy beer. Yeah, well, if, if you can find it, uh, it's uh, oh, no, getting it hard he, to find. No, I mean, he's selling on his website. He's, he's clearing out the brewery oh. cellar. Ah, okay. I was uh, thinking about a, a local place. Nope. All right, and then on to other things about sell, uh, sales. This time, not a debt-laden sale, but something very interesting to me from my historical point of view. Uh, Mass Bay Brewing, a.k.a. Harpoon. Right? So Mass Bay Brewing is the holding company for Harpoon and UFO Brands and a couple of others. They have bought Long Trail. Now, unless you're from New England or lived in the New England area for a while, Long Trail may not be a name that you know very well, but it is a classic New England brewery. It's been around since the early 90s. And to me, it's interesting because it shows that we're still seeing that consolidation trend, particularly as a lot of these older breweries their owners or are moving towards retirement or the equity funds that have sort of bought into them are deciding they want their, their cash and get their profit out of it. So we're seeing some more consolidation still, particularly post COVID. But what I also think is interesting, at least from a personal point of view for me is that this now means that all three of the beers that got me into craft beer are now under one roof. And those three are, Harpoon IPA, which when I left Boston was a relatively new beer, but it was also sort of my first exposure to fresh IPA that sort of blew my mind. And at the time, it felt like the world's most bitter thing I'd ever drunk. These days, I don't even think it would classify somewhere in the top 100. Um, Long Trail Ale, which I think they rebranded to Long Trail Amber Ale. And Otter Creek Copper, which comes back periodically but is no longer a regular beer. Those three beers are now actually all under this Mass Bay Brewing uh, roof, shall we say. What I also thought was interesting is that the old Long Trail Brewery in this deal is not coming along to Mass Bay. It's being sold to Whistlepig Whiskey. So it's going to become a spirits brewery. But like I said, interesting to me. That's very interesting and kind of weird. Hey, look, I offload the equipment, right? You You think about it. The difference between a brewery and a distillery is really one big damn piece of equipment. <laughs> well, I guess I guess that's it, huh? So I mean, if, yeah, if you think about it, a distillery still needs a brew house. It still needs fermenters. Now it just needs also a still. So makes a lot of sense to me that they would uh, look to offload that since Mass Bay Brewing already has a lot of brewing capacity, uh, and so that way they can kind of offset some of the the cost. But again. Very personal connection for me because it's Harpoon, Long Trail Ale, Otter Creek Copper, the beers that got me into good beer. Uh, uh, by the way, Denny, what was the beer that got you into good beer? Uh, Budweiser, because I drank so much of it, I couldn't stand it anymore, and I had to drink something else. <laughs> uh, I mean, now from my, my bar days, I, I really didn't drink at all, you know, like during high school and college when everybody else was drinking, uh, because we had other things that we were doing. Uh, but when I started playing in bars a lot, it was always Budweiser, Long Necks. I guess the first 
beer that I stepped to stepped up to after that was Heineken, and about then uh, Henry Weinhard came out with their Lager, and then eventually their Blue Boar Ale, and I guess that that Blue Boar was probably uh, m- my real gateway to decent beer. Yeah, and sadly, also no longer around. Thank you, Miller. They've they've just uh, brought back the regular Weinhard's uh, Lager. It's being brewed by uh, Hop Valley here in Eugene. Oh, there you go. So now, I'm, I still won't drink it, but you know. Yeah. All right. Well, and actually, not that far away from Eugene, at least in comparison to how far it is away from me. The big news that happened over the end of this last week was actually a brewery collapse. <laughs> yeah, uh, boy, uh, or buoy, uh, however you pronounce it, uh, up in Astoria, uh, part of these supports on the pier that, uh, that they were on collapsed. Uh, fortunately, uh, the restaurant was closed that night, so there was nobody there, and uh, the few people that were in the building were uninjured. But boy, it is a big mess. Yeah, you go and you look at it, and it's like the roof is crumpled in. <laughs> the it feels like half the place kind of well a third of the place kind of stoved in over the over yeah. the water. Uh, this also yeah, points uh, out to the idea that uh, sometimes it's risky to build over water. <laughs> yeah, well, you know they're they're out there on the, on the wharf like everybody else, but uh, yeah, they're going to have a big and expensive job getting that repaired. Yep. But hopefully, uh, I know they're uh, actually speaking of distilleries. They have an attached distillery, and that's okay. Right. That's still in operation. So, good news: nobody got hurt. Bad news: it's going to take a little bit of time before they're back up and running. But uh, also, yikes! <laughs> yeah, I'll bet that uh, somebody was really scared. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be calling for my brown pants, as the old joke goes. Um, <laughs> All right, and that is it for the news this week. Uh, I think it's time for us to go talk a little bit of uh, action in a brewery that is sort of not a brewery at the moment. Yeah, yeah, Drew's Brewery is under construction, and when we get back, he'll tell you all about it. The ultimate all-in-one electric home brewing system is here. The new Grainfather G40 can produce up to 11 gallons of beer and features all the latest advancements in home brewing technology, including wireless control so you can monitor your brew day from the Grainfather app. With an innovative new grain basket design that improves wort flow, reaching mash efficiencies of 75% or more is easy. The 3300-watt heating element brings your wort to a boil quickly without any scorching, and the large hop plate filter guarantees that no unwanted grain matter or hop tube reaches your fermenter. Every G40 comes standard with a high-powered built-in pump that can handle temperatures over 200 degrees Fahrenheit and a full three-year warranty that guarantees that you will be able to keep on brewing no matter what. The new Grainfather G40 is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer or online at grainfather.com. Mechagrade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their eighth generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? 
The best beers deserve MechaGrade. For more information, please visit MechaGrade.com. Welcome to the brewery, and it's got uh, under construction signs all over it. Uh, <laughs> Drew is undergoing some major changes in his brewery. Uh, why don't you describe what it was and what it's going to be? Yeah, at, at the moment, my brewery is completely filled with uh, nothing but spackling dust and drywall dust, because um, <laughs> it's now completely empty. So if you've seen the photos of my brewery before, you know, it's kind of been a nice little space, but it was a little drywalled uh, space, 1925 built standalone garage, about 330 square feet, which for a place to do brewing has always been very nice, but it's been effectively completely uninsulated, old, kind of half leaning in some uh, some ways, and, you know, no air conditioning, no nothing, um, uh, sort of uneven concrete floors. My wife and I are taking this summer to actually go and redo our our uh, mother-in-law suite in the back because we actually are very fortunate to have one of those. And also while we're doing that, because it's attached to the brewery slash garage to most normal people doing redoing the garage at the moment. So I have pulled everything out of the brewery. I've given away a bunch of stuff from the brewery uh, and currently working on actually making that a living space. So that brewery is not only going to be my brewery slash garage, it's also going to be my, office and it's going to be where I'm going to start doing the podcast from right now. I'm in my office inside my house. So we've pulled everything out. 1940s cast iron enameled sink is out of there. Everything's out and it's being rebuilt. So now double drywalled insulated. There's now actually an air conditioner that's going on board. Yay. Uh, so I can work out there. But the other thing is just thinking from a brewery perspective not only am I getting that cast iron sink repaired and sort of fixed up and gussied up, but I have finally gained my 220 volt outlet uh, set up. You remember, Denny, what you got 220 in your garage how long ago? Oh, God, over a year ago. Yep. So I'm finally joining the 220 crowd. And I also, at the same time, installed a brand new water spigot. So both the 220 outlet and the water spigot are inside the garage, right? They're not exposed to the elements, but they're right by the garage door so that, you know, I, I kind of still like to actually brew outside. So I'll be able to wheel my grandfather right outside, fill it with the, uh, the water from the spigot, and then also be able to, you know, power it straight from the door. So nice and convenient. Very, <laughs> very nice to be able to set it up the way I like to work. Okay. Um, I've got a brand new workbench that's come in. So I had been working from a relatively cheap stainless steel folding or not folding, uh, rolling uh, workbench. Uh, but that's going, that's going away. And instead I have what might actually be the tank of workbenches. It's a pre 1940s steel workbench that has a wooden desk and wooden work surface built into it. And when I say a tank, 
I'm fairly certain you could fire a tank cannon at this thing and it would stay intact. It probably weighs <laughs> close to 500 pounds. It is a beast. Uh, but that's going to be my new workstation, both for the brewery, the podcasting rig will go up there. My computers will go up there and kind of become like a standing desk. And that's, that's going to make me very happy. I have an, a, a bar coming in. I've never had a bar in the brewery, but we actually found uh, my, my wife is very good at hunting for vintage items. So that workbench, for instance, is one of those vintage uh, workbench. But she also found online an old school office reception desk. So think like when you'd walk into the office at the school and you had like the lady standing behind a counter with the absentee forms and all that sort of good stuff. That is coming to my house to serve as my bar. This one actually originally was in a school somewhere in Pennsylvania. So I think that's kind of cool. Other things I'm adding, I'm going to get an arcade machine. And if anybody has a recommendation for sort of a good multi-arcade game machine, please let me know because I think that's kind of cool. I'm going to build a little lounging area. You know, so I have a couple of chairs I can sit in, have friends over, we can have beers. The one thing I have not put into the brewery, which I know you absolutely love, but I decided not to break up the concrete in order to do this, is I didn't put a drain in. Yeah, well, you may regret that. Uh, but on the other hand, if you're brewing outside in your driveway, it's going to be a little bit less important. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of why I figured I'd save the money there. But I am going to uh, resurface and re- uh, repolish the concrete as well. So it'll be a nice slick space. So it'll be a little cool. Going to have that industrial feel with the concrete floor, but I still have the old stained Douglas fir up in the ceiling. So it's going to be a kind of a nice look, new fancy lights, all this sort of stuff. It'll be a very rad little space once it's done, and I'm looking forward to actually brewing with it. Uh, Other things I thought was kind of cool, and this is only cool to me, but you always learn things whenever you do construction work, right? And we took the brewery space down to the studs. So all the crappy drywall that the last owner threw up and, and didn't really do much with, uh, all that came off, and you can see all the, the wiring that was in there, all the, the stuff that happened. You can see that one point in time the brewery had slumped over to one side, and they lifted it back up and poured a new footing. But also very amusing to me is the ADU is attached to the back of the the uh, garage, right? Uh, and ADU, a.k.a. Granny Flat, a.k.a. Mother-in-Law Suite, a.k.a. Auxiliary Dwelling Unit, if you want to speak civil uh, engineering code. I think that's right. Um but what I thought was really cool was in this original garage, when we opened up that back wall, you can see where the original door was to go out into the backyard and things like that and see like how the slabs got built up over time. It was very cool, like little lessons. I also learned how to repair old double hung cast iron weighted windows and also how to refurbish them. So lessons learned, but not a quick tip. <laughs> yeah. Well, better you than me. <laughs> but yeah, so I will tell you guys right now, that's the ideas I had for the brewery space. It's still, like I said, being worked on. The drywall is being wrapped up right now, as literally as we speak. Uh, I will gladly take any other ideas that people have out there and tell me what else you would want to see in a brewery. Like, I need to figure out, I want, I want to figure out, like, a way to do a pan for my fermenters. So that if there's any spills or any sort of glycol leaks or anything like that, they all go into the pan and not on the floor. Uh, I'd love to grab and steal other ideas that you all have. So what let are you me know. doing for grain storage? I'm going to still use my buckets, but they're going to be hidden away. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then that way, that way you, you don't walk in and it looks like a homebrew shop. Yeah, I'm okay with it looking like a homebrew shop, but my, uh, but the goal for this is to not have it look like a homebrew shop. Um, but yeah, if you all have any ideas or, or tips or suggestions or things you've learned in rebuilding a space for that, uh, let me know at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Okay. Sounds like it's going to be quite spiffy. I know. I, I can't wait. I'm going to have a nice comfortable <laughs> chair and a place to put a pint glass and maybe play a game or watch a TV. I mean, it's going to be my man cave slash office. Amy will never let you back in the house. Uh, Amy might never, not ever see me back in the house. <laughs> Okay, how about we head over to the lounge and uh, have a chat with Tyler and Lori? Yes, let's. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my wort to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super-fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your word in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art. They're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. Yakima Chief Hops is a proud supporter of the global homebrewing community. We believe that homebrewers are at the true heart of craft beer. YCH is dedicated to supplying the brewing hobbyists, the homebrew side hustlers, and the late-night garage brewers with the same cutting-edge quality hop products as the brewers working on a 90-barrel tank. Yakima Chief is pleased to introduce the latest product in hop innovation right out of the R&D lab, Cryopop Original Blend. Combining their proprietary cryogenic hop processing technology with groundbreaking lab analysis, they've engineered a hop pellet packed with the most beer-soluble compounds to bring a true pop of tropical, stone fruit, and citrus aromas. Learn more at yakimachief.com. We've slipped into something more comfortable. Smoking jackets, if you would. A nice comfy chair. And a pint of beer. And now, it's time for us to talk. And in this particular case, as we said up in the intro, we are talking to Tyler and Lori from the Brewed Up podcast. We got to virtually meet Tyler and Lori, and one of these days I'm going to get out of my house and actually meet them in person. We got to virtually meet them during the WIBS Summit, where we gave a whole talk that sort of devolved half into beer and half into nerdy audio technical gear questions. Uh, it happens. But in this particular case, I thought it'd be great if we got a chance to sit down and talk to them about actual beer, beer stuff. And, you know, go give it a listen. I, we love Tyler and Laurie, and we can't wait to have them do some more stuff with us. So go forth. Listen. Well, and speaking of that's us, who is us? Yeah, I'm Laurie. 
And I'm Tyler. Yes. Yes. And we are the hosts of Brewed Up Podcast. Mm -hmm. Which I think, what, you guys have like 50 episodes now? We have, oh gosh, you're putting me on the spot. Mm -hmm. Um, Something like that. Something like that. I think we do at least like 15 to 20 per season, and we just wrapped up our third season. So somewhere around there. (laughs) Now, by the way, can I just say that I'm... Yeah, I see you guys have uh, seasons, and I'm going, why didn't we do that? Why do we insist we have to do one every week? (laughs) I think I would go absolutely bonkers if that was our schedule, to be honest. I don't know. Well, so yeah, (laughs) just to to remind people, you guys host Brewed Up, and Mm -hmm. it's available at all your finest podcast retailers. And and you can also follow you on Instagram, which I think is just what Brewed Up Podcast yeah. yeah, and we also put a lot of content on our Instagram, too. So if you're like an Instagram person, we're always posting stories about our, our brewing, our homebrew, and just sort of like when, you know, we're both homebrewers, so when like our brewing intersects, then we'll post it, too. So it's really fun. Hmm. Well, yeah. now, let's speak about that, then. How did you two get into the world of, you know, quote-unquote craft beer? Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's I'm actually pretty recent to um, homebrewing and craft beer. I, I really only started brewing like with a, an extract kit back in uh, the beginning of 2018, I think. Yeah, 2018. Um, so I've been brewing since then. I took a tiny little hi- hiatus at the beginning, but that's what really got me started in brewing and also drinking different styles and stuff like before that I was really just drinking you know paps boo ribbon which you know no no shade to that beer I still love PBR Mm. but I was you know (laughs) not drinking anything you know too crafty mostly like macro stuff Um, so yeah but it's been like a fun definitely been a fun journey since then and then obviously I joined a homebrew club and that really blew everything up and yeah it's been really fun so that's kind of how I started yeah, joining the Humber Club oh. is definitely a kick in the pants. It is, yeah. It it was it definitely before that I was doing everything alone. My friends weren't really interested in, in beer, like my friends from college, in terms of like craft stuff. And then uh yeah, joining the Humber Club really I have a great group of friends from there and learning so much every day. So it's been fun. Well, for me, um, I'm a, I'm a little older than Tyler. I don't know if anybody knows that because <laughs> she's basically an old lady. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> for me, uh, I, I guess I discovered craft beer in the 90s, late 90s. I went to Cal State Chico, home of Sierra Nevada, and it was fun being in that um, kind of that environment, uh, feeling sort of like intimate with the, the brewery, like having hometown, having hometown pride with the brewery, and then... I only started homebrewing maybe 2014, mostly making just ciders, and then meeting up with a homebrew club, just kind of being labeled as the cider person, but then, you know, just keeping my ear open and listening, drinking more beer, tasting more beer, and then finally linking up with Tyler. I started brewing beer myself right before the pandemic started, so it's I've gone pretty hard actually like like a lot of people have well i mean 
brewing just before the pandemic, or at least picking it up just before the pandemic, is like a case of perfect timing, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and so, like, what what made you all make that jump from? Well, uh, what made you make that jump from uh, doing, hey, you know, Sierra Nevada to, oh, hey, now I'm going to make this at home. Um, I think it's just in my nature. I'm kind of like. I like hippie stuff. I like natural stuff. I like cooking, you know, gardening. I am a, I'm a high school ceramics teacher. So I just kind of have that DIY thing about me. And once I realized, you know, I have, I have a, I have a very close friend who I love very much. His name's Kevin. He lives in Portland and and he was a home brewer and he kind of like opened my eyes. Like you can make beer on your stove, in your patio, and you can drink it with your friends. And I just love that because it's awesome. You know, it's awesome to make something and give it off to people and to enjoy something that you make yourself. And it's, um, as I always like to joke, it's a lot easier to give away beer than it is, say, another birdhouse. Uh, <laughs> 100% correct, yes. <laughs> well, okay, so what are, what, are all some of your, what are some of y'all's favorite things to brew? Ooh, good question. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, naturally, as a home brewery, kind of want to try a bunch of different stuff, um, a bunch of different styles. I am personally trying to nail like loggers, um, and when I say loggers, I'm I'm talking across the board. German pills. I just brewed for actually um, Southern California Homebrew Festival a Bach, which was cool. It's like you know dark light. I, I really like drinking that style, so I'm trying to brew that style a lot, um, just to try to. I know it takes a little bit more time usually, but I would like to really like perfect a couple of those. But um, saison is definitely one of my favorite beers to brew, mm. and um, yeah. <laughs> Yes to Saisons. Um, lots of fun. Definitely a fun base beer to play around with, too. And, yeah, honestly, anything that's, like, low alcohol content and, and easy to drink, I'm, I'm super pumped to, to try and, like, brew that a lot. And I like to play around with funky stuff, too, Britannomyces and stuff like that. So that's typically what I'm playing around with. Loggers and everything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, crispy boys and funky boys. <laughs> uh, I'm like Tyler. I mean, I like to drink her crispy boys and her funky boys, to be <laughs> honest. Um, I don't know. I think what I tend to gravitate to is sort of those mid SRM range beers. Like I just, I'm drinking right now a Kentucky Common. I'm pretty proud of. I think it turned out really good. I love a red. I love a dark mob, like a low alcohol beer, beer. Um, but what I make a lot of, I make a lot of grafts, which is like half beer, half cider fermented together. And I really love that combination and kind of seeing where I can stretch it. And that's, I guess that's all I say. My next thing I want to brew, I, I want to brew a a brute IPA and I made one and it was awful and I dumped it. And so I have my sights set on that next. I was going to say, you and a lot of breweries made a lot of brewed IPAs that were awful. And I, and I, think, and I think people people have learned since then. It's like, oh, yeah, wait, no, you, you got to give uh, enough yeast health in order to get rid of the diacetyl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, well, because that was the whole thing. Is like People were following uh, Kim, the guy who launched the style, 
uh, when he was at Social Kitchen, he he talked about like, oh well, you know, putting it in it, putting it in after he did his yeast dump, and then the enzymes would go to work, and whatever yeast was left over was the one was what would take up and, and ferment the yeast and make the beer very dry. Uh, the problem is that all that yeast at that time it has very low vitality, and so it could ferment, but it wasn't going to go back and clean up the diacetyl it produced. And that was the reason why you had so many uh, brewed IPAs that were like butter bombs. Mm. Oh, cool. That's yeah. fun. Fun facts. <laughs> Science. Um, <laughs> yes. And by the way, speaking of graph, every time I hear people talk about graph, I keep thinking that might be the most positive creation of Stephen King's mind ever. Mm. <laughs> Got it. Not a Stephen. I mean, I've never read, but yes, that's the only thing I can find on graph is that. Or I was calling it a malt cider before. Oh yeah, I don't think he. I don't think he really invented the idea of blending beer and cider. No, that name definitely graph. not. But just using, I guess, and I'm think when obviously when you see it, you think of like you know putting two like tree species together or whatever. So I mean, whatever. I, it is a kind of a writer's name. It's malt a cider. Whatever you like to call it, it's delicious. <laughs> yes. Well, so let me ask then: when you do the these malt cider slash graphs, do you prefer a particular sort of base beer style to go up against the apple juice, or? Uh, you know, uh, Saison has worked really, really well. Um, I've done kind of like an English, just I, you know, very low IBU, very malty. Uh, I, I don't know. I was kind of going for sort of like an English, maybe, not an English bitter, but maybe like a light mild or something like that. But that worked well too. Um, but I would like to do a much darker style. But I love the saison. I, I, I like that base, yeah. the saison. It's fun. The yeast characters are fun too. One hundred percent. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question that I ask a lot of people, uh, which is for both of you. If you omitting the word balance, how would you describe your recipe philosophy or your beer philosophy? Hmm. Omitting the word balance. Um, you mean like when it comes to when you're creating a beer? Uh, what what are you shooting for? Definitely balance. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know that's a good question. I think recipe development and you know, I don't know, people listening to this or know me would be like, what are you talking about? You sound crazy. But I would say that's probably my weakest, um, I guess, uh, what am I trying to say? It's, it's the thing I'm least good at when it comes to making beer is like developing a recipe, um, I guess, smartly or intelligently, because I don't know, it's just hard for me to wrap my head around you know, the different grains, the different hops, obviously, you know, everyone, it's that's the same for everyone. There's so many things to choose from, so many different things to choose on from, but like, how do you know how much of what to put in? And I think for me, and I was just, I was just talking about this um, to my boyfriend yesterday. I was like, I think I need to, for the, the second half of 2022, just brew recipes that already exist in books online because I don't think I did enough of that at the beginning and I think that would really help me to really like get a, a, a more cohesive philosophy when it comes to recipe development um, I think I, I I need to do that because I, at the beginning you know I was kind of doing it and then I went straight into trying to make my own recipes and 
I've had some, some good stuff, some bad stuff, but uh, I believe, you know, going back and looking at books like, you know, what's that, what's that book, the Brewing Classic Styles and going on the HA website and stuff is very resourceful. So I just try to, you know, use ingredients that I, I, I've used now and taste good, but there's there's so much to, to play around with. So I think that's what I'm going to do. That's going to be my goal for 2022. Great goal. Goals. Thanks. Um, I'm like, I'm like, I mean, I think I'm like, like all homebrewers, you realize you have, you know, the power to make whatever you want to make. And sometimes, especially in the beginning, if you get a little too bold, a little too special, you make some (laughs) that no one wants to drink. And (laughs) then I circled back to styles and I'm really, um, uh, I'm in, I'm, I went I'm going back to school. I'm trying to like finish um, some stuff, but when I'm done with that, I really want to focus on uh, BJCP, and I really love the style guide. I it's it's a bible. I like to Same. look at it, and mm-hmm. I like to I like to just read read the entries. And I I know like you can go through an entry, and I know that these things get sort of debated about, and you can you know, look at it from different angles. And sometimes I'll read something a second or third time. I'll be like, Oh, okay. I think that's what they're trying to say. Um, so yeah, I do like doing that. And then sometimes you have like a vision of something, I guess for me, the philosophy is keep something tasty on tap, but don't be afraid to learn something new. Usually when I brew something, I try to pack in like one or two learning elements Mm-hmm. Oh damn! I wanted to start this answer with the word <laughs> equitable and not balanced. Darn it. <laughs> Anyways, equitable <laughs> separation or <laughs> weight of those two things. Being creative, but like I also like the framework that you know brewing provides, or even the style guide provides. I would like to add that Lori is a natural, so she's a really great cook. And I don't know if this is related, but any, like she's, yeah, like she says, she, she definitely does try to incorporate some kind of learning element when it comes to like the process. Um, and she puts together these recipes and makes it And like, honestly, they all come out really good to me. So I'm super impressed with her brewing skills and recipe development. Thank you. (laughs) Feel the love. Yes. The love. Well, I, I will tell you that I've been doing this now for 23 years, which every time I say that kind of makes me cringe. Um, and I'm, I'm with you. I, every brew that I do, I'm still trying to learn something, you know, at least, at least something, you know, one little thing go, okay, what happens if I do this? What, you know, what impact do I get from that ingredient? You know, so I'm, yeah, I'm always trying to still learn. I think if you stop doing that, I think that's when the hobby becomes sort of dull and rote. And why would you do that to yourself? Well, the cool part is that there's so much like, like progression and innovation in beer and brewing, you know, even as we speak, I mean, there's malting companies coming up with new things and my, my word, like BSG, their whole new, uh, like, hop sweet all the all the new stuff they got i mean it's very very cool so there's always something new to try um that's that makes it exciting for me yeah well and 
you know, Tyler, when you were saying that, you know, it, there's all these ingredients and it's very intimidating. I mean, I, I was just thinking about how, like, when I started doing brewing, like, we didn't have nearly the same sort of cornucopia of all these different ingredients and different hop products and different hop varieties. And every time you turn around, there's a new hop or a new yeast. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I kind of I kind of think the brewers who are starting now-ish are getting a little more challenged by just this sort of inundation of new things that you can try. Mm-hmm. And so it was like it's, it's so overwhelming. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, it's at least a fun thing to try and learn. Totally, yeah. <laughs> overwhelming, but also exciting. <laughs> right. Well, now let's get to the other heart of the matter of what we needed to discuss today, mm-hmm. because you all went to the Southern California Homebrewers Festival last week, and I'm very jealous. I couldn't make it. Oh, we missed you. We definitely missed you. <laughs> I know this, it was going to be our opportunity to actually meet in person. Um, and we did, we neglected to mention it up front in the, in the interview here. Uh, if you guys go and you pull up the latest, as we're talking, episode of Brewed Up, you can hear Tyler, Lori, myself, and Denny all talking at the Women's International Beer Summit. And that conversation kind of went a little bit astray and far afield sometimes. Yeah. And a, and a weirdly hey, nothing areas. wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. That's how Brewed Up operates. We will go astray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was fun, though. Right. And once well, so when we did that, it was all like, yay, excitement. The Southern California Homebrewers Festival coming up. Let's go meet. And then, unfortunately, I couldn't make it. So uh, f- to set the stage for, for listeners, because they've heard stupid audio from me from Southern California Homebrewers Festival in the past, this is, I think, what the... This was the 29th iteration of the of the fest. Correct. Yes. Should have been 31, but we lost two years in there for some strange reason. Mm. Uh. So, <laughs> so did I. <laughs> <laughs> well, so had you all ever been to Southern California Homebrewers Festival before, or was this the first time? No. Yeah, you know, this was our like, first time. yeah, this was our first time, and um, you know, when the when the God, I hate to bring it up, but like when the lockdown happened, our homebrew club Slack chat was just like lit. Like we were all gonna go. Mm-hmm. We all. I had a an amazing peach cider. It was going to. Was I called it a box. Everybody. Yeah, I would call it the boxer dropper. It was gonna be amazing. <laughs> we were gonna have so much fun, and then that thing happened. Um, but yeah, this year we were really pumped and also we have like a personal connection with, um, Andy Carter, who's the president of California homebrewers. Is it an association? Yep. Um, and he, you know, he worked so hard and it was such a phenomenal event and like fests are on the rise. I don't know if you've noticed that, but this, this fest in particular, amazing. It's like, um, it's better than Coachella. It's better than Burning Man. It's kind of the Burning Man Coachella of Southern California homebrew. So that's all I'm going to say. Cooler. No, not at all. Super good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always joke with Andy that at least you know, here in Southern California, you, know, you got Andy and then you got me, and together we make one Andrew. <gasps> Whoa! Yes. Oh, no, <laughs> missed that opportunity this year. No, holy cow! Right. One Andrew. Well, and to 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 further explain, I mean, I, I don't know how many how many clubs were, were there this year because in the past it's been around forty. 
I think it was the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Around the same number. And so to, for people to visualize in your mind, this takes place at a KOA campground in, in Temecula. And Temecula is kind of fancy country because of all the wineries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a fancy campground. But well, wait, Hold on. Pause. I wouldn't, I've been to better at KOAs. Just saying. Peace and love. Vail Lake. Love you. <laughs> Heart hands. <laughs> Jesus. There was a rustic element, but it, like you, you were saying, it was like, it's a KOA. It's a big campground. Right. Go ahead. With a big field. And in that big field, 40 homebrew clubs come together with tents and bars mm-hmm. and more beer than you can shake 50 livers at. <laughs> um, now, you, you guys had mentioned that you, were pouring, that you were pouring with your club, right? And we didn't say what your club was. Yeah, we are part of the yeah. <laughs> SoCal Cerveceros. So, and uh, the Cerveceros is like the, the the girl portion, I suppose. But yeah, we were there for, with SEC, and it was really fun. Well, and I heard a Bach being poured. What else got mm. poured by you guys? Wait, Tyler, tell him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I made an American Bach. wasn't my recipe. It was actually from the BYO Mag. Um, which is a great magazine. If anyone wants to subscribe, I highly suggest it. But yeah, it was this, this, I don't know, recipe that I found in the magazine looked good. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll do it. Um, so that came out great. And then I also poured a seltzer. So I made a seltzer kit, hard seltzer kit, mm-hmm. pineapple, and I fermented it with a Britannomyces strain. So it was a hundred percent Britannomyces fermented hard seltzer. Which pineapple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was this crazy experiment. I was like, "This, if this comes out good, cool, I'll bring it. If not, I'll still bring it. People will drink it. <laughs> um, and it was good. It was like 3.5% and definitely had like a little Brett character. It was fruity and interesting. And I don't know. I thought it was it was a fun drink. So I so, thought it was awesome. Did, did it pick up <laughs> any of the earthy type notes of, the, of Brett or is it just fruity? It was pretty tinge, pretty, yeah. Yeah, it was early, young, but yeah, it was pretty Sorry young. It, no, no, it's fine. I still have probably like I don't know two and a half gallons left, so I'm I'm gonna just leave it in the keg and see what happens over the next several months. <laughs> Let's see what nice. this becomes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Tyler's Bach was super good. The crazy seltzer, so refreshing, so floral and delicious. I made a a dry hopped cider. And I also made a Rausch beer, which was my first lager I ever made. I don't know why. But it's so good. You don't know why it was your first lager or why you did it? Why I don't know why it? I chose that as my first lager. Because it's like, for me, I like a, a Rausch beer, singular, one. Right. I'm never going to order a second. I'm always more like, this is weird. Let me continue to drink it. Well, I always find that <laughs> Rausch beers take, like the first one's interesting. The second one... Less so, the third one suddenly becomes delicious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I did start to like it after a while. <laughs> yeah, it came out super good. I was like, I don't know. I was very impressed by that, by both yeah. your drinks that you had. But yeah, the Roush beer was good. It was a hit, too. Everyone's like, ooh, this is pretty good, you know? Not mm. too smoky, nice and hammy, you know? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, good stuff. Well, so basically, then- we're amazing. We made really good stuff. <laughs> And you know what? Look, I, I, I am sitting here, and I'm totally willing to believe y'all. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then 
I have to ask what we had Julia speaking at the at the conference, right, or the festival. Mm-hmm. And so, Miss um, um, Julia Hertz, HA director extraordinaire. Yes. And I, uh, uh, spreading the uh, spreading the gospel probably to people who already believed in the gospel <laughs> of homebrewing and what what the power of it was. Um, what else? What else did you guys see at uh, Southern California Brewers Festival that that made you go ooh? Well, first I want to say, if you're a member of the American Homebrewers Association, we're really lucky to have Julia Harris at the helm. She's like evangelistic, evangelical about homebrew. The energy is there, the positivity, um, super cool. Um, yeah, for she's me, great. yeah, the fest was awesome. The raffle, amazing, and just kind of. It's just it's just been a while. It's it's nice to sit with the homies like your club and just just chat. And also it's I don't know how to explain it without sounding like a junkie, but it's it's nice to be in an environment where you're with people where you know, you can drink and then you can just go back to your campsite. You don't have to drive anywhere. You're not like that's the only thing you're doing and I, you know, I, I felt good. No hangover was very composed all weekend and tried a lot of awesome beers. I was really impressed with the Inland Empires, Inland Empire homebrewers. So shout out to those guys. They had like 50 things on tap and everything that I tried was pretty good. I did have some weird thing, but I think it was already a weird thing. So I really didn't know what to expect. (laughs) It was intentionally weird. That's all it was a say. what's it called? Drew, maybe a sati. S a. Yeah, Finnish, or Scandinavian uh, juniper beer. Yeah, I wasn't really sure uh, what to expect. I've had juniper wine before, but the sati didn't really quite lay with with me. But they also had like ketchup uh, container thingies <laughs> of like Skittle ju- juice. I don't. Even, <laughs> I don't even know. It was like litter. <laughs> Little like stuff that you pour into whatever beer you got on tap, and they also had a, a skittle sour, so it was like very skittly skittle brow things, mm-hmm. yeah. And that was really that was really interesting. I honestly i I had a really amazing time. I think i I should have done a little bit more research in regards to like what clubs were going to be there, how many clubs, who you know, who to go try because. You know, the festival's 10 hours. That should be enough time to... You would think. Hop to, yeah, hop to at least a decent amount of boots, um, which we did. But I feel like next time, next year, Dirty 30, I'm going to go <laughs> to each booth <laughs> and I'm going to try their craziest thing on tap. Like, I think I should have done that this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's one thing to go and be like, oh, you know, like, obviously, Vibe Boys has, like, awesome, crazy oh, things. Vibe brings I tried a bunch fire. of their stuff. Yeah. Um, but I would go to some booths and be like, oh, let me try their Kolsch or, oh, let me try their Saison or, oh, let me try their this. And I was like, man, I should – like, it's homebrewers. Let me try whatever crazy fucked up thing that they're making, you know? <laughs> so I think next year that'll be that'll be on my list. It's like go to each booth and whatever looks like the craziest homebrew, just try that and then move on to the next one. <laughs> so, Drew, I'm, I'm here to give you the, the Cha Fest exclusive. Okay. So beyond the fest, the 10-hour ticketed event is the 
the camping at the KOA. So the fest on Saturday, most people descent on Friday. And there's actually a lot of people that come in earlier in the week, much earlier in the week. And it's just this, it's basically just all homebrewers camping. I honestly think there might be people there that aren't even in homebrew clubs, but I think so too. <laughs> were families. Right. Like, um, so yeah, the night before people call it trick or treating. You just kind of can, can roll around campsite to campsite. And we were there, we were hanging out with vibe vibe had, we're talking about, this is like the VIP vibe. They had Tapachi, Amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A whole mead thing. Always amazing. Great mead makers in that group. They've got, um, a guy that makes gluten-free beers. Anyway, hanging out with Vibe, and these these people just kind of like roll up, but kind of aggressively, right? They didn't. <laughs> it was just a different vibe. I've just felt like did I felt like they were just dropped off. And then I started talking to the guy, and he's trying to. I felt like he was telling stories. I didn't feel like I was getting the truth. Turns out, random um, mountain bikers. Heard there was a homebrew fest, but liked to mountain bike in the area. So camp right. That's right. I remember that now. <laughs> and just were kind of rolling around seeing what they could get into. And I thought that was really cute. It was almost like it had a reputation for being really fun. Yeah. Well, and yeah, so you, a lot of people doing that on Friday and in the past also a lot of people doing that on Saturday, which is kind of bonkers to me. Mm, yeah. How can you? <laughs> uh, well, apparently some people can. Um, but you know, isn't that, it called trick or treating? Isn't that isn't that what it's called? You hop around yep. to each people's campsite and hey, what are you guys up to? Yeah, that was yeah. kind of crazy. But. Well, and we, and we used to <laughs> we used to produce maps showing where each of the clubs was camping, so like mm. you, you you could look at the map and go, oh hey, you know, I want to go visit the Falcons. They're over here in Lower Chardonnay. Um, which yes, by the way, Lower Chardonnay is one of the names of the campgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um and then, you know, the thing that you noted about it's not all homebrewers, that's actually true. And way back in the day, it used to be even more so. It used to be uh, that they would sell tickets to the Southern California Homebrewers Festival, like in a homebrew shop or at a brewery or, you know, lots of different places. So the party used to be much, much bigger, but the number of homebrewers was much, much smaller. Oh, and I then see. when, uh, when the rules changed from uh, with the ABC here in California, and the ABC got all, got all very uptight about you know homebrewers pouring beer for people who are paying for a festival that may be like a profit thing for the organization, that's when they switched it over to okay everybody who comes to this festival has to be a member of the CHA, and you have to buy your ticket and you have to buy your ticket like forty eight hours before the party starts and all that sort of yeah. fun stuff. Uh, it was all a bunch of weird legal stuff. <laughs> well, there so, were 1,200 people there this year, which I thought yep. was very cool. Yes. Yeah, like back in the day when the when it was more wide open, I think I think one year there was like 2,400. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, which is insane. But that was also a lot of people who were just going from booth to booth, going, mm-hmm. "What's the strongest thing you got on the menu?" Yeah, oh, I love those people. <laughs> well, and I don't know if it happened this year, but at least in years past. There used to be sort of almost a pool on when you'd find the first person who was passed out. and <laughs> Oh, gosh. And so I think <laughs> what the, the festival opens at 10, 11? Yeah, um, 11, yes. Yeah. yeah. 
All the way to nine, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You have to learn to pace yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think one year there was somebody who was passed out against one of the trees in the field at about noon. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, geez, we just started here. (laughs) Also, it's usually like a much, like we, the the people that were super away, I, I did, there are some exceptions, but mostly just older people. And I just thought, I feel like you should know. That you you can drink water and you can take a little break. <laughs> oh well, there there are some people who are just hardcore about it. Like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not drinking water. And it's like, hey, okay, well, we'll come pick you up later. Right. <laughs> but what was there anything else that stood out to you guys about the about the festival? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, it was just it was a really great experience. Like I said, next year I do a little bit more research and and try to pop around to more booths. Um, but it honestly was just really cool to see everyone that we, you know, you know, follow on Instagram and talk to on Instagram all the time, like in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, Antonio Wrangler was there. It was so good to see him. Meeting Julia was awesome. Um, and then just like, yeah, just being around all the homebrew clubs and talking about just nerding about, about beer. Um, it was it was great. It was just a great environment, and yeah, I'll definitely go next year for sure. Yeah, it's so fun to pour for and enjoy with mm-hmm. beer with other beer people. You know, I mean, <clears throat> sometimes homebrewers get a bad rap for going to the brewery and wanting to talk about the beer, blah blah blah. But like, this was the environment where you could where you could do that. And it was and it was mm-hmm. really cool. People were really like. Yeah, like I I remember the malts or whatever. You can find the person and you can come back to the booth and then just met so many fun people. Really great to connect with um, you people that listen to our podcast. So that was really, really mm-hmm. special and fun. Um, and just, you know, fellowship with people in our club. Uh, the pandemic was, was tough and that kind of environment, that energy was really shut down for a while. So it was just like, it was nice to just kind of really be present. Oh, and by the way, we were supposed to record something <laughs> during, <laughs> during the homebrew fest, but I just tell you, we just, we just sort of languished. We just loved it. We just, we were walking around, we were taking selfies. We had a great time. Oh, trust me. It takes a special sort of dork like me <laughs> to go walk around a homebrew festival with the recorder and sticking microphones in people's faces. We might have to do it next time, definitely. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. But, I mean, to your point, though, like one of the best things I think about that festival is walking around and being inspired by a lot of the things that other people are doing. Yes. Like seeing like, oh, hey, I never thought of that flavor combination. Or, oh, hey, you know, I haven't, I, I've never tried a sati before. I've never brewed a sati before. I'll go and look that up now and go figure out how to make it. Or even just the moment of like, as you were pointing out, like having people come up and ask you questions about the beer and going, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, I really love the hop character in this. What is this? Yeah. I mean, yeah, for absolutely. those of us who nerd out about this stuff, that's finally a chance when we can have all those conversations that the other folks in our lives who who love us and put up with us just roll their eyes at when that sort of conversation oh, starts. Yeah. We're, tone brewers yeah. are totally in your environment. And honestly, the whole time, that's all you hear. You just hear people talking. 1,200 people talking in a field yep. about beer and drinking it, about obviously, beer. getting drunk. Yeah. <laughs> mm. 
Well, any any last thoughts about Southern California Homebrews Festival before we leave it leave it be in the dust until next year? Definitely, if you can make it next year, go. I would say hot tip, like like Drew said, pace yourself. I think Lori <laughs> and I did an amazing job. Oh, I'm so we were proud both of us. Yeah, we were a little worried. We were like, oh man, we're gonna leave this weekend like you know, so tired and so hungover, but we did a great job of pacing ourselves. We had a good time. We remember everything. And yeah, I would say that's, that's the the best way to enjoy like a Mm -hmm. festival like this, you know, plus it's really hot. You don't want to like collapse from heat exhaustion and being Mm -hmm. drunk and stuff, you know, (laughs) at least it's not Coachella. Yes. Drink water, pace yourself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think that's uh, probably enough time that I've taken out of your all's evening. Uh, but in the meanwhile, again, for everybody who wants to listen to more conversation with Tyler and Lori, you can go find the Brewed Up podcast wherever you go find your latest podcast. Go download, I uh, think, like we said, three seasons, about 50-some-odd episodes of, of content. Go catch up. And uh, in the meanwhile, if you get a chance to go to a festival like the Southern California Homebrews Festival, don't skip it. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Homebrew way experience. better than commercial. One hundred percent. They're real. All right. Well, hey, thanks, guys. I I, I hope that was enjoyable for you. Yes. Thanks, Drew. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having us. That was awesome. And we miss Denny so much. And we'll <laughs> see you next time. Yes. Yeah, well, Denny Denny said that he was listening to the the episode that you all uh, posted earlier today, and he's he said he got about halfway through it, and he's like. You know what? I forgot how fun that was. We should do more. <laughs> Aww. So, We're happy to. Right, right back at you, guys. And, and yeah. he also said that he was, dang, I wish I, w- I, wish I wasn't missing tonight, but I, he had something scheduled. So That's okay. Well, He's a busy time. guy. Yeah. Well, I was going to yeah. say, it's, I mean, look, thanks to the nature of the internet and thanks to the fact that we never run out of things to talk about beer, <laughs> uh, there's more, always more opportunity for us to talk about beer. Cool. And we love it. We will. We're always down to talk about beer and nerding out yeah. about it. So, Whoa. just hit us up anytime. Hit us up. Yes, ma'am. I will. Thanks, Drew. Man, they are so much fun to talk to. I really regret that I couldn't make it that day. Yeah, they have a they have a really fun energy. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Uh, you know, and one thing. Well, several things struck me, but one thing in particular that I believe it was Tyler said about how. After she started brewing, she just jumped right into making her own recipes and had found that she wasn't really satisfied with things and she was going to go back to uh, tried and true recipes, at least for a while. Mm-hmm. That is like something that I see in home brewing over and over again. There's nothing wrong with making your own recipes and chances are you'll learn something from it. But the question is, will you learn something in a negative way or a positive way? Uh, I understand that everybody wants to make their own recipes, and, you know, I did it too. But I brewed a lot of recipes straight out of books and stuff like that before I started doing it because they give you a, a basis for evaluating what you're doing yourself. So, you know... My recommendation, uh, and you've heard me say it before, if you're a new brewer, stick to other people's recipes until you've had enough experience to really get a feeling for what's going on. And then just start changing one thing at a time. 
because that's the best way to learn about ingredients and, and really get yourself on your way to making your own recipes. Well, I definitely think it will be a way to ensure that you have more success, more consistent results. But also at the same time, I would uh, caution that you make sure that you choose recipes that you know are actually successful. Because if you go by some of the recipes that are out there on the Internet, hmm. Yeah, well, that's why you go buy recipes that are like in our books, <laughs> right? And then <laughs> yeah, there was, go, there, go buy the recipes that are in our books. Please buy a book. And, and then there was something that you said, too, about, uh, you know, how the whole purpose of brewing is to experiment and try different stuff. And, and I know that's true for you. And mm-hmm. for some people, that is definitely not true for me, at least at this stage in my brewing. Uh, I would rather get out there and do something I've done before that I know is going to work. And, uh, you know, that that's the way I approach it. Yeah, I mean, and that's fair, but uh, at the same time, I think you and I are both in the same boat where what I may call experimenting is really just me exercising the amount of knowledge I've gained over the years. So when I go and do something new, I'm in a relatively low-risk situation. Uh, yeah. Now, but at the same time, remember a couple of episodes back when you had my Falcon's Talon, or 7th Talon, sorry, the 7th the Talon IPA. You know, that was something new to me where I was playing around with a lot of the the hops I hadn't necessarily used before. And so that was a learning experiment for me uh, and something that, as we talked about in the episode, yeah, OK, there's something that needs to be adjusted there because it's not quite right. But, you know, yeah, that's- well, and, and that was the same thing with the uh, the malted corn in the cream ale. Uh, that was an experiment. I didn't feel like it was particularly successful. On the other hand, the beard didn't suck. But uh, there's no other way that you would really understand what the character of that malted corn is and uh, where you might want to try it. Absolutely. So, yeah, experimentation guided by knowledge. At the same time, <laughs> remember, brewing as a hobby, since we're not trying to sell this when we're not trying to make money out of it, brewing as a hobby should be driven by the things that make you happy. And so if, yeah. if what you're happy with is going and being a goofball, like me, go be a goofball. Just understand the end results. If what makes you happy is knowing at the end of the day that I'm going to have a good time and I'm going to also make a really good brew, then, yeah, there's different guardrails, shall we say. Which right. is, by the way, exactly. also the reason why we say if, you, if what makes you happy is going and doing a double decoction, well, one, I'm sorry that that's how your brain is bent, but – you do you. With that heavily philosophical bent to the lounge, I think it's time to move over and wrap things up, huh? Yep. Let's get this done. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have a quick tip, a something other, and then we'll be out of here. Stick around. The Brew Deck Podcast features exclusive interviews with your favorite brewers and suppliers. Each episode highlights new trends and brewing tips from leaders in the industry to inspire your next brew. Listen to the Brew Deck Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. The AHA wants to remind you that the Great American Beer Festival returns to Denver this October 6th through 8th. And if you want pre-sale access to the hottest beer festival in the U.S., you're going to need to be an AHA member. 
June 28th is the deadline to join the American Homebrewers Association to receive a pre-sale code, a $10 discount on all general session tickets, access to the members-only Saturday afternoon tickets, and first access to paired tickets. Don't delay. Visit homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental to get access to the hottest beer fest in the U.S. Hey, welcome back for the wrap-up, everybody. We're going to be starting out with a quick tip from Drew. Yep, my quick tip is uh, don't forget about your local Harbor Freight if you have one in the area. Harbor Freight, if you don't know, is a source of charitably, let's say, cheap tools. Um, And the whole place smells like cheap tools, too. Now, I will say Harbor Freight is great for being able to get your hands on certain things that you are not going to use all the time. So don't go to Harbor Freight and buy a tool that you're going to need to use every week. You know, something that's uh, critical and vital to you. But I will say that for brewing purposes, going to Harbor Freight can be a cheap way to actually kit out a separate toolkit for your, your brewery space. And I've talked about that in the past. I am very, very firmly of the opinion that you should have a small separate toolkit that's just dedicated to the brewery and not go raid your house tools every time that you need to do something because that, then what ends up happening is when you need to repair something in the house, the tool is not there, it's over there, and you can't find it, and vice versa, and it's very frustrating. So Harbor Freight is good for sort of inexpensive hand tools that you're not going to need to you know, really put through their paces all the time. The other thing I will also say is don't buy anything at Harbor Freight that you're going to depend upon your life for. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I know some people who are like, look, I got this cheap bandsaw at Harbor Freight or the or this inexpensive uh, air compressor. Yeah, that's not going to be me, buddy. Not even close. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, you probably won't get quality, but you'll get usable stuff. Yeah, just don't do anything usable that might actually kill you. Uh, so <laughs> that's my quick tip for the week. Don't forget about Harbor Freight. And obviously, uh, I'm going to probably be in the mind for more construction-related quick tips <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> Yeah, really. <laughs> All right. And then, of course, as always, since life is not just about beer, there are always something other than beer. Dincenzo, what is your something other than beer? I ran across this fascinating show on Netflix called Victorian Farm. Uh, a woman who's a historian and two guys who are archaeologists spend uh, time living and working on a farm from the, oh, I think it's like the early 1800s or so. Ruth Goodman is the woman who's the historian, and Drew tells me she's done a number of other shows like this that I have to find. But it's it's really cool because they really get into, like, the history. Uh, they have, like, this old steam-driven threshing machine on this show that will just drive you crazy. It's so cool. Um 
really, really worth your time. There's like uh, six episodes of the first season, uh, another three episodes of a Christmas uh, series. Really, really fascinating stuff. Nice and relaxing and restful at the end of a stressful day. Check it out. Victorian Farm. It's on Netflix, maybe other places. And Drew, you said that what were the other shows that she had done? Yeah, so she's done a whole series of shows uh, over there in the U.K., the big one that's also on Netflix that, that I first saw was Secrets of the Castle, which is all about that modern archaeological recreation project over in, I think it's, uh, it's, it's in France, all about trying to use period appropriate tools to go and build a brand new castle. And it's been worked on, I think, for like 20, 30 years, and they're supposed to be wrapping up here shortly. Uh, there's also other farm shows as well, like, uh, uh one that's like a Tudor monastery farm show. There's an Edwardian farm show. So she's been all over the place doing different sorts of slices of life from different historical periods uh, shows. And like like I indicated, a good number of those are located on Netflix for streaming. So go and uh, go and watch them if you haven't. They're great. Yeah, they really are. The very, very, very fascinating shows really drew my attention right away. Absolutely. Okay, we're getting out of here. Thank you all for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. And we're also on Twitter, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Drew hangs out on the Homebrewing subreddit and the Slack Homebrewing channel. You can find me on the AHA Discussion Forum. I hang out a lot on Facebook. I'm over at the Brew House on the Beer Garden discussion forum and who knows where else i might pop up so we'll see you around if you want to ask us a question or suggest topics recipes experiments or even just rant and rave you can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com and if you want to get a hold of each one of us individually i'm denny at experimentalbrew.com and he's drew at experimentalbrew.com and we have a phone number imagine that would you you can uh, shoot us a text leave us a voicemail at 626-765-1-ALE. That's 626-765-1253. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing.